Wow, y'all, I'm going to miss just the beat of that uh, bumper video as we wrap up this series today. I'm going to put in a request that we bring that back at some point, please. Uh, I love it. Gets me energized to go. Y'all, 13 years of Love Chapel Hill. Happy birthday. Happy anniversary. Whichever way you want to go, we're going with it. Y'all, 2009 to 2022. That was fast. It has really been wild to reflect on the past 13 years and what the Lord has done in such a short amount of time. It is such a short amount of time that I was 28 in 2009, and just two weeks ago, I turned 29. (laughs) So... um, Really, again, I guess, as Avery would uh, keep me in check to say, Dad, it was the 12th time you've turned 29. Come on. Um, But where were you in 2009, in October of 2009? Think about that for just a second. Where were you? Joel already stole this, but I'm going to do it again anyway. But on the count of three, I just want you to shout out all at once, where were you in October of 2009? Ready? One, two, three. In the third grade. Wow. Wow. For those of you that said kindergarten. Oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> well, we all are coming from... <laughs> from different journeys over the past 13 years. And this is one of the things that I find so beautiful about this space week in and week out, that we all come from different places and different experiences. And together, as we are looking to Jesus to practice his ways, to follow in his ways, we find unity in the diversity of where we have been and where we're coming from. We find this unity to follow together. And so whether you have been with us since the very first Sunday, Carolyn Martin, Stephen Debbie Smith, I see you out there. I know Steph has been here all 13 years. Y'all, whether you have been here for that whole time or that you've been with us and just found us over the past couple of weeks, whether you're in this place or you're joining us online, thank you for being a part of this. Thank you for being a part of this small expression of a very large kingdom that is coming in this world. We could not do it without you. You I want to say a very special thank you to our volunteers. Our volunteers that pour hours into making sure that we are living on our mission day in and day out, not just on Sunday morning, but throughout the week, every week. So y'all, if you have served... If you've served on the core team at Love Chapel Hill, I want to invite you to stand up. If you have served uh, with the LCH kids, I want to invite you to stand up. You'll stand up and stay, stay standing. If you've served on the hospitality or greeting team, stand up. If you've served on the communications team or the sound team or the media team, our creative team, If you've led a small group or participated with the service team, please stand up. If you've been on the welcome team or announcement team serving in this place, the community development team, 
If you have served on another team that I haven't named or you have just helped put away chairs one day in this place, um, if you have, if you've ever driven the love bus, whatever way that you have served, thank you. Thank you. Yes, stand up. (laughs) Y'all, we could not do it without you. And as I look around, I don't know if you get some kind of award for something like this, but this kind of percentage of people who are serving in the local church is significant. It just doesn't happen this way. And it is because of over 13 years, every single person who has served, who has carried a table or a chair to make it possible to do what we do in this place, that we are able to faithfully live on this mission to love Chapel Hill with the heart of Jesus. So y'all can be seated. Let's give everybody a hand who has served over the years. And I promise I wasn't trying to call out anyone not serving. (laughs) But if you're not currently serving and you are ready, please, we would love to have your help and to help you find your place. So be sure to fill out a connect card today. I'm not going to ask you to stand, but I also want to express our gratitude for two other groups of people who have made the last 13 years possible. First, just to reiterate what Joel said earlier, we want to say thanks to every person who has invested financially to make this work possible. Every single dollar matters, and every single one makes a difference for Love Chapel Hill to be who we are called to be and do what we are called to do to tangibly express the heart of Jesus in this place. It's what we set out to do from the very first time that we met together. The other group I want to recognize is each and every person who has prayed for Love Chapel Hill. For this place, when we started, we had over 100 committed prayer partners who were literally spread across the country and around the world, many of them still praying for us regularly today. I know many of you hearing my voice pray for our church family on a regular basis, so I want to say thank you for that. This kingdom ministry runs on the investment of people giving generously of resources, your time, your talents, and your treasures. So thank you. And y'all, clearly I could not do this on my own. So it has taken a team from the very beginning And it is more true now than ever. And so to our staff team, I am so grateful for each of you. The ways that you lead and the ways that you serve with the heart of Jesus. So Allison, Carolyn, Dominique, and Joel, I love you. And I appreciate you for all that you bring to this team. And finally, I can't celebrate this day without a huge shout out to our former teaching pastor, Matt Leroy. Y'all, that's right. You can give him him all kinds of love, please. He had a vision for this church community and pursued it for over 20 years. He took a risk. He took a risk to invite me to become the executive pastor for a church that didn't exist yet. From the beginning to invite me to be the executive pastor when I was 28 years old. I don't know what I was thinking. (laughs) Um, And then 13 years later, to believe in me 
and trust me to step into this lead pastor role. It is good and it is right. And Matt, I thank you for your friendship, the beautiful example of your faithful leadership. As we have followed you, my friends, we look up to realize that we have followed and we do follow the ways of Jesus. I know you're listening and I love you. We love you. Y'all, let's give him another hand. So today, as we gather together, we are gathering to remember and to celebrate the faithfulness of God. From before Love Chapel Hill began to today, and at the same time we are looking to the future, what's new and what's next. And so as we round out this series titled, Who Are We?, we explore this final mark together. But it is a new one for us. That mark is transforming faith. It is a mark that will identify us and carry us into the future, knowing that we will need faith and faithful people to step into what's next for Love Chapel Hill. So y'all, much of my sermon prep has been sitting by a fire. And so as we get into this, I hope that that part translates to that it will feel like you have just pulled up a seat and that we are sitting around a fire. You can smell the sweet aroma of cedar as it is burning slowly. And as we look to dig into this mark of Love Chapel Hill, we're going to dig into the faith of the Roman centurion as told in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. It's going to be on the screen for you, um, or feel free to, to hop over in your Bible or in your app to read along with us. This Matthew 8, 5 through 13. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come, to my, come under my roof. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. He said to those following him, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done as you believed it would. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Father, this is your word speaking to us still today, alive and moving and stirring our hearts. So we've got to open our hearts to explore this transforming faith 
that we see here in the Roman centurion. In your name, Jesus. So y'all, what is faith? It's a fun thing to try and define. I appreciate very much what the Oxford Dictionary says, that faith is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. It feels solid to me. But if you've been around church for a little bit, you've probably heard what some refer to as the biblical definition of faith. Coming to us from Hebrews chapter 11, which starts this amazing hall of faith, if you will, telling the story of the saints through the ages and their faith. Hebrews 11 verses 1 and 2 says, Now faith is confident, confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Instead of seeing that as a definition, I think it is a little bit more of a view into what it looks like when our trust is in Jesus and when our will and our purpose come into alignment with his. Because we can have faith in a lot of things, right? There, there's faith in a lot of things outside of the ways of Jesus that we can find ourselves in that fits with that Oxford Dictionary, right? When we trust or have confidence in something or someone. But let's dig into what it looks like to have faith in Jesus. In this passage, we find ourselves in Capernaum. So we're going to explore what is significant about that and who is this centurion. Right, Capernaum is this bustling little town in the region of Galilee. So it's kind of on the, it's a seaside community, if you will, on the, the edge of the Sea of Galilee. And it becomes a continual setting for us where we see Jesus' life and ministry playing out. So we know he was born in Bethlehem, right? And he's from Nazareth. But things didn't go too well for him in Nazareth. Um, he got chased out of there, and um, they didn't really want him to come back. So he kind of makes his home, if you will, in Capernaum. So it is this, this place that we will see him regularly, his second home, if you will. And so there, many of the miracles that we find in the Gospels that are recorded there take place in Capernaum. And then we have the centurion leader, right? There are Romans around. It is under Roman occupation. The centurion then is a leader of a group of Roman soldiers. And as the name implies, how many people do you think might be in that um, regiment? 100. The centurion. Working on that Latin. Um, he's, come, he's come to Jesus. He's come to Jesus with a need very close to his heart. And y'all, when, when a Roman centurion is seeking you out as a Jewish person in this place, it is usually not good news. If you see a Roman coming, you're probably looking to go the other way. But he comes to meet Jesus and make a request. This, this account here says there's a servant who is paralyzed 
and in great pain. In the other accounts in Luke and John of this story, it actually even draws that relationship closer to that of a son, a father-son relationship. And so it's, it's communicating the closeness, the heart that this centurion has, whether, whether it be a family-related person or a servant who is like a son to him. John and Luke also add to the account that this person is likely close to death. And so I love Jesus' clarifying question there to the centurion. He says, shall I come to heal him? Jesus' sensitivity to this, clarifying what the centurion is asking. And then the centurion is incredibly thoughtful and sensitive as he knows what it would mean for Jesus to come to his house. It would leave Jesus unclean, and he would be considered an outcast. For a period of time, he would have to go through cleansing. So it indicates that the centurion here is, is also in tune with the Jewish law, the Jewish ways. Luke and John, actually Luke, refers to this man also as a friend of the Jews, which is a unique designation for anyone in the Roman Empire. Jesus, the centurion, knows also that it's not necessary for Jesus to come to his house. The centurion gets it, right? He's clearly observed Jesus, what he's doing, what he is about, because of his position as a Roman soldier, a Roman centurion leading this regiment, because of his position, he gets authority. Authority, saying, right? I tell one to go and they go, one to come and they come to do and they do it. So he recognizes that authority that Jesus has through his own context. And then what is Jesus' response? Jesus is surprised? Y'all, maybe he's even a little shocked in this moment at the faith of this Roman military leader. I love how the message translation puts it. Matthew 8, 10 and 12 says, Taken aback, Jesus said, I've yet to come across this kind of simple trust in Israel. The very people who are supposed to know all about God and how he works. Y'all, Jesus is taken aback. How much easier is it to trust when you actually have a relationship with someone? When you know someone? How crucial it is to have a relationship, to know that kind and experience that kind of trust how crucial it is in our relationship with God. Can you think of any other encounters where Jesus is surprised? Where Jesus is taken aback? You know, that's strong language. I think of the woman who was bleeding for 12 years. Right? She just reached out and touched the hem of his garment. And he felt power go out from him. 
says, your faith has made you well. He's kind of caught off guard in that moment. But there aren't a lot of times in Scripture that we see where Jesus is like, whoa, what just happened? Wow, that Jesus would say, wow, in this moment to the faith of this Roman centurion. So what is transforming faith? What sets this apart? Is it blind faith? No. It's based on observation and experience, right? That Jesus is who he says he is, that he is trustworthy, he is faithful and true. He is proven consistent. So y'all, we recognize that our faith, our faith comes from the Lord, our God, who has proven trustworthy and true through the ages. We put our trust wholly and completely in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to know in all things God is working for good in our present reality, working in our hearts, in our circumstances, empowering us to walk with confidence in the ways of Jesus. So transforming faith, it's that same faith that builds a boat when rain has never even been seen on the face of the earth. That same faith that takes five stones and a sling to a battle with a giant. It's the same faith that calls down fire on Mount Carmel in the midst of hundreds of prophets of other gods. The same faith that believes the word of an angel that a baby is coming when physically that didn't seem possible. The same faith that this Roman warrior has to believe that his loved one could be healed from a distance. The same faith that takes us into the waters of baptism to be buried with Christ and raised with him again in new life. Transforming faith reveals the inward work that God is doing and at the same time, the outward work that God is doing in the world around us. In this story, the Roman centurion, there is a revelation that there is a changing landscape in who may enter God's kingdom. If you were a Jew, you thought, we are the chosen people. We are in. Good to go. And they would think that a Gentile has no business in God's kingdom. But this turns it on its head, right? That the changing landscape says, this Roman centurion gets it. That he will be sitting at the banquet table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Y'all, those are the Jewish patriarchs. And so how is this guy going to sit there? It is his faith in seeing and knowing what God has done and is doing. Y'all, so maybe you're not resonating at the moment with that Roman centurion. <laughs> what if I don't have confidence? What if I don't have that kind of faith? 
Let me first say that the marks and this exploration of who we are, they are both capturing what is present and what we hope to and aspire to be. That faith, that we can be who God is calling us to be when we live in surrender to God's will and purpose, practicing the ways of Jesus. You know, in the case of faith, maybe you resonate more with this healing story. In Mark chapter 9, 23 to 27, there is, there is a man, a Jewish man, whose son, whose son is possessed by a spirit in such a way that he can't speak, that it throws him into seizures such that it tries to take his life, throwing him into water or to fire And the disciples try to drive out this evil spirit. But they can't. And so they bring the man and his boy to Jesus. And so Jesus asks the boy's father, how long has he been like this? And the father replies, from childhood. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Y'all, that is often more the indicator of my faith. Like, Lord, I believe, but I need you to help me believe. find that I don't have confidence many, many times. And certainly Jesus' response is different to both of these situations in terms of what he has to say, right? He pulls out and celebrates the Roman centurion's faith as one that he has not seen in all of Israel. But then in both cases. The physical result of healing is the same. So no matter where you are on that spectrum of Roman centurion to this Jewish man calling out for help with his faith, you can have the assurance, you can have the confidence that Jesus will meet you in your time of need. Faith is a gift. You know, some of you have had George Michael singing in your head from um, the start of the message because we're talking about faith. And um, you can keep on singing, just got to have faith. (laughs) Oh, is that just in my head? Or is, are you all hearing that too? Is that... Oh my gosh. (laughs) So then, (laughs) if we want to increase our faith, how might we grow in it? Can we go to the faith store and pick some up? Get the newest edition like the latest iPhone? I think we might have to drop a couple mil and then we would still be 
looking for that faith because we can't buy it. And we can't achieve it. And we can't earn it. It seems like if you could just muster just a tiny little bit of faith, you could do great things. Matthew 17, 20 says, I tell you the truth. If you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. I don't know if y'all have ever seen a mustard seed, but it is like a millimeter in diameter. That's not much. Just that little bit. And so I feel like I should be able to push, right? Like I should be able to strive and get that little bit of faith. And if I did, really, you could move a mountain? Anybody thrown a mountain into the sea lately? Moved it? No? No? Yeah, okay. Glad I'm not alone in that. Hebrews, Hebrews 12, 1 to 2. Since, therefore, we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. The author and perfecter of that is it. He's the one who made it. He's the one who gives it. He is the one who is continuing to work it in our lives. Jesus tells the story, right, about the birds of the air, that they don't worry about what they're going to eat, where they're going to go, where they're going to sleep, and the flowers of the ground, how beautifully they are clothed. So what if we just had that little bit of faith like they do? Faith is a gift, right? The food for the birds, the beauty of the flowers, those are gifts of God that they can't create on their own. They are given Faith is a gift given to us. Jesus meets us in our need for faith. He meets us in our pain. And we should not think that an increase in faith means that all the bad stuff of life disappears. Not at all. Right? There's a whole bunch of bad stuff happening in the world. And still, God gives us faith to face it. It is a reorienting to know the one who holds the universe is holding you and me. That we can have confidence not in our own striving or our faith, but in the gift of faith given to us by the Holy Spirit. You know, I want to invite my friend Cole to come and join me to tell a couple of quick stories of faith. As he comes, thinking, there he is. What's up, buddy? Think about the barriers to our faith. 
the barriers of hurry, the barriers of worry and fear, how isolation can cut us off from not just each other, but from faith, how our own rugged individualism can be a barrier to faith. I know that is putting faith in other things, in our own physical strength, our bank accounts, our cars, our retirement accounts. Y'all, there are many barriers to faith. So, Cole, will you share with us? Here, you can pull that up here, man. Share with us a little bit of your journey of faith. Like... Yeah, so... Um, this, is this the outline? Yes. Yeah, I love it. So, so, so yeah. Um, what was the... What, it's on. What was the Romans reference that you gave for the faith by definition? Oh, the Hebrews, yeah. Sorry, Hebrews yeah, 11. Yep, yep, that's right. Yep, yep. So, you know, I was sitting on the corner. I want, you to, I want you all to look right here in my hand. I want everyone to concentrate... And look and see what I have in my hand. Okay. I showed it to you that, that way on purpose. And um, to me, like I said, the Hebrews, faith is the definition by hoping for things unseen, as I paraphrased it. Um, so Justin had asked me to speak on three things. Um, so he gave me a list. And uh, the first one that I picked and I chose is, how have you witnessed the faith of someone else that shaped your own faith? Y'all arrived in North Carolina. It was about 1985 in Goldsboro. Um, I, and I wanted it, any woman to know that today, and one of my first teachers, her name was Delma Costin from my Bible class, and yes, women can play vital and important roles. Other people I knew, such as Steve Schaefer, Rick Harris, John H. Clayton, DeMont Folks, um, Maria and her sister one time, when uh, they used to serve dinners at Bonhoeffer in Dallas, they had served dinner one time right after their grandmother had passed away, um, to the less fortunate also. Um, you know, faith, like Justin said, we didn't correlate what we were saying, by the way. Um, faith, by the way, doesn't care who you are. I think I already heard that. Um, doesn't matter where you're from, um, and it is for every person everywhere. Um, the other question was... Um, how has the time and connection to Love Chapel Hill helped me grow my faith in Jesus? Y'all, when I arrived in um, Chapel Hill, I felt like the SS Minnow, broke, wrecked, faithfully searching. My approach is always to see things with an open mind. <clears throat> and through my shell shock of life, I was in a space of life where I felt alone, sounds similar again, uncertain, fast forward, you know, we were at this, um, I was at the story Tuesday. I related that I was panhandling over on the corner, and uh, there's a guy that came by. Uh, he was trying to pass me, you know, to get to know Jesus card, and uh, I said, was saying something to it, and Vicky was in class, and she said, because she had heard me say, you know, the guy didn't know whether I was a believer or not, and she said, we know you. Mm -hmm. um, these words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. It is a guide to personal improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words in your life, you are like the smart carpenter who built the house on a solid rock. 
Rain poured on it. The river flooded. A tornado hit it. Nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. Um, and then uh, the last question that Justin had asked me is tell us a specific time where Jesus, where your faith in Jesus saw you through. Y'all, it's just like every day, right now, right here. Um, <clears throat> I get up, I go about my business, you know. Um, right now, we've already heard, you know, the, there's a lot of mixed up, messed up and muddled up things in the world. Things have gone awry. Um, can go around life feeling like, you know, you're being pulled like a piece of taffy. Mm -hmm. um, Y'all, Jesus touched my life <clears throat> when I was about 12 years old. It's been 40 years now. Um, I said yes. And it's so easy in the world of tangibles to say no to something you can't see. I still say yes. And y'all, there's no place I'd rather been than here today with y'all critters. And I say that in the name of Jesus <laughs> and his, his very humble name. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Amen. And by the way, there was something in my hand. Mm -hmm. Just so y'all can see. Yeah. It wasn't a trick. Well done, my friend. Thank you for sharing that, Cole. Oh, and thank you, Gizmo. Y'all bring such joy to our lives, Cole. We are honored to walk with you and to have you a part of our family. Y'all, what a gift. Cole, how long have you been with us, buddy? It's, yeah, I mean, you've been with us almost the whole time, I think. It was um, amazing to yeah, yeah, see what God is doing in your life. Friends, what do you need faith for today? Maybe a better question is, what are the areas of your life you need to trust the Lord with today? There are always areas of surrender. He's calling us to deeper and deeper places with him. Maybe you need faith to face the giants of a family member who is sick. Maybe you need to trust God with that class that is looking like a C- minus instead of the A or B you were hoping for. Maybe you need to trust God for that job opportunity that's coming. Maybe it's faith to give the generous gift that the Lord is telling you to give someone. To trust Him with and for your financial situation. Maybe it's trust that there is life after death. Perhaps it's faith for a spouse someday, but for trust in your current spaces of loneliness. Maybe it's for faith itself. Whatever it is, whether you want to share just one word or a whole narrative, y'all. You walked in with some post-its today. I want to encourage you to use them all. And there are more up here on the stage if you need them. Y'all, as we prepare to come to the table today, I want to invite you to take just a moment. Write down those things that you need to trust God for.
that he might give you the gift of faith for those needs. He meets over and over again through the Gospels. We see him meet people in their time of need. And so as you write down this need, there will be a group of us that are going to pray over these afterward. When we come down to the table today, there's a mirror right here. Some of you may not have realized it's a mirror because I don't know what you're seeing from where you are in that vantage point, but it is a mirror. And y'all, there are a few lines on the mirror. So as you come, I want to invite you to bring your post-it notes, whether it's one or four or five or ten. Just stick them on the mirror. Stick them on the line. So we started this series the very first week we encouraged you to be able to look in the mirror and say, you are lovely. Because it's true. You are lovely. Because God dwells within you. And each week as we have been walking in this series together, my friend L has set up this beautiful artistic reflection. It's been on the table many times, and some of you have noticed and asked about it. Some of you are like, what is going on there? <clears throat> but it's been right here with the table, with the bread and the cup every week, and as we have approached the table every single time. It is the moment that we enter in that space, reflecting back to us what God sees, which is not just our outward appearance, but the heart of who we are, made in the image of God. We hear the words spoken over us, just as Jesus in the waters of baptism, you are my beloved. Those same words are spoken over you and me today. So as you put your post-it on the mirror, take a look at yourself in the mirror to know that you have a Father who sees you as lovely, ready to meet your every need, to give you the faith for those things you are asking for. So who are we? We are people bearing the image of God on a journey together, loved by God and empowered to love other people. We are marked by intentional incarnation, reckless love, courageous generosity, optimistic grace, radical hospitality, and transforming faith. We invite you to come to the table to taste and see that the Lord is good. You'll take a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup. So as you come, as you're dismissed by row, come on down the front and stick your post-it and we'll, our servers are on this side today. Don't be fooled. We're still coming down this side, okay? And we'll come across and be served on this side. So I invite you to come.